Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to be reading that in a moment. I'm going to read the second half of chapter 2. But it will be projected behind me. All right, so we've been in the, studying the book of Daniel. And one of the messages of Daniel is that despite how chaotic things look, God is in control. Um, Daniel is somebody who is a minority as far as being a God follower. There's not very many people like him. He's surrounded by people who don't know the God of the Bible. And so one of the things he's also teaching us, not only to live by faith in the midst of chaos, um, but to do so in a way where we don't compromise our beliefs and live like a chameleon, blending into the culture. Um, nor do we run away from our neighbors simply because they disagree with us. Right? We're called to live out our faith publicly in the presence of our neighbors so that we can be a witness to Jesus and, and his work and what he's doing that they too might want to know. Who is this Jesus? How are you so hopeful? All right, and so last chapter in chapter 2, remember the context, we saw that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the king of the ancient world, right? he's just one of the first massive world empires, the most powerful human being to live at that day was sleepless, anxious, and so God sent him a dream, and what we learned, right, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be God, he wanted to be control, and God sent him a dream that showed him that he's not, but he also got to see Daniel, the man of faith, in the presence of the sentence of death, um, calmly prays for God's help, and God answers that prayer not only gives Nebuchadnezzar, right, Nebuchadnezzar makes this unrealistic demand, tell me what my dream was and tell me what it means, right? So there's no way to just make up a meaning. You have to know what the dream was. And God supernaturally gives Daniel the content of the dream and the interpretation. And that's where we're picking up in the story. And so I want to read it. We get to hear the dream and its interpretation. And so let's listen to God's word. This is God speaking to us. It says, this is Daniel speaking, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and to whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. 
And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Um, let's pray before we, we meditate on this together. Oh, Father, I pray that through our studies today, we would see um, your sovereignty, uh, we would see your plan, and we would see the wonder that you, O oh God, would communicate the mystery of your will to us, what you're doing in the world. And what you're doing has to do with Jesus Christ. And so I pray that we would see him, his death, his resurrection, and that we would be changed as we learn to trust in this great God who communicates to us. May we not leave here the same because your spirit is growing, is working in us, teaching us wisdom and understanding, that we might be Christ's faithful witnesses. Um, wherever you put us, in Jesus' name, amen. So how optimistic have you been lately for the future? Right? If you have great hope for the future of our country, uh, for your own personal future, um, what, or the church, right? I mean, there's a lot of anxiety of what COVID's going to do to the church uh, here and, and elsewhere across the country. Um, Daniel, in exile, living in Babylon, whose life is just full of chaos, gives us a picture in this dream of, well, why we can be hopeful about the future. Right? We, we get a glimpse of what will come and what has happened. Right? But the, the picture Daniel gets is because he knows this God and because he knows this kingdom is coming, right? he's showing us a picture of what it looks like to, either, to have God as his security, and in the midst of chaos, have confidence. Right? Either you have God and his kingdom as your confidence and security, or you have none. Daniel kind of models that for us. Right? And, and that's what I love about that, is, right, that's what we talked about last week, of just because he knew God was in control didn't mean he just passively wait and say, come what may, because God is in control, 
He got up, he gathered his friends, they went and prayed and said, okay, the king's going to kill us if we don't know. God, you need to reveal this mystery to us. Give us wisdom. Right? The paradox is God is in control. No matter how bad things get, therefore pray. <laughs> That's the recipe for becoming a person of wisdom, of confidence and courage. And so what I want to do this morning, right, is, is look at this dream. If you read the dream and heard the dream and said, what in the world was that about? I didn't get any optimism for the future. Uh, hopefully this will become less muddled. It is okay. This is an Old Testament book. It's a cross-cultural experience. And this is a dream full of imagery uh, that isn't imagery that we talk about and think about regularly. But what I do think we get, and, and I hope to show you, when you see the understanding of this dream, you're going to have some a holy optimism about the future because you, God's telling us what he's up to. And so let's, let's dive in here. The way you get there at first is to start by trusting the source of the dream. We want to meditate on what Daniel is a witness of, and he's a witness. He's, right, he's the only one in the king's court at this point. Uh, he and his friends, he's a witness to the fact that God communicates from heaven to earth. Right? So we want, we're called to trust the source of the dream. Right? Do you remember Daniel goes to this prayer meeting? He says, well, guys, it's been a day. Nebuchadnezzar made a decree. He has not yet had his death wish, co death wish coffee. Right? And if you don't come up with a dream and its meaning, we're all dead. And of course, that's what happens. God gives Daniel the content of the dream and its meaning. And what's so miraculous is the God of heaven who seems so far away, right? he communicates to people here on earth. It's, it's so astounding and yet so simple. God reveals himself and the mystery of his will to Daniel so that he might tell the king of the world, and the king of the world then tells all peoples in the known world that day, it becomes a movement. Right? See, this dream, this is who Daniel is, and this is what it's like to be a believer in the world. We're witnesses of the fact that God communicates, that he has communicated to human beings uh, in the scriptures. Right? It, he tells us what he's up to, why we're here, what we're here for, what's going on. He gives us uh, comfort for our suffering, right? We get, a, we get an explanation that makes the most sense of the world as we know it and live in it and experience it. And what, what this chapter in Daniel wants us to see is the God who is, is a God who reveals himself and the mystery of his will. Right? What's going to happen? I love that phrase. We want, we want to know the latter days. Right? What's going to come at the end of all things? Right? You want to know the future, don't you? I mean, how many of you stayed up till 2 in the morning hoping to figure out somebody's predictions of who's going to win the election? Right? But this dream is it paints a picture of what's coming, the latter days, history from Daniel's perspective. Um, it just kind of helps us process these questions. Is history going somewhere? Is it progressing or getting worse? Uh, personally, is there an actual plan for the mess I'm in? Is there a goal for my journey, for my life, a destination in mind, and does it matter? Right? And what, what I love about this chapter is even though it's, 
convoluted, what you, what you get is God is saying, I have a plan. There's something that is coming. There's a stone, a mountain. We'll talk about what that means. But it's a plan for the whole earth. And that includes every human being, you and me. Right? Because if there is not a God who reveals mysteries, who's actively involved in history, your life is either the result of blind luck, some kind of impersonal fate, or it's all up to you to give yourself meaning uh, for your everyday life and to deal with the consequences that come. Right? Or you see what Daniel's telling you and witnessing and testifying to. God is at work in history, and he's including us in the mystery of how he's building his kingdom on earth. Right? So, this, that's a question for you. Do you have that kind of confidence in the Bible that God has communicated? That there is a plan for history. Um, that even though it may look to us, right, if you've ever looked at a tapestry and seen the back, this is such a great illustration, it looks like a whole bunch of tangled knots, uh, dead ends and things interweaving. It just looks hideous. But when you flip it around and you see the front, um, then you realize it's just this majestic mosaic of what God is up to in history. But we live <laughs> on the backside of the tapestry, wondering what's going on. And so places like Daniel um, are telling us there's a divine storyteller who wants that story to be known. So whatever you think of this dream, as, as strange as it is, we'll talk about the content. We're called to focus on the source, the God who communicates, the God who makes himself known. That's exactly what Daniel does. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to know this in verse 27. He says, there's no human being on earth, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician that can do what the king asked, which is to tell someone their dream and what it means. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Here's your dream, and here's what's going to happen in the latter days. Do you have that kind of confidence? That there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries? Right? One of the things we say as good Presbyterians, I mean, it's just a summary of our, our faith and what the Bible teaches. We say the Bible, because it comes from God himself, is our sole authority for what we believe, who God is, who Jesus is, what he's up to. But then also the sole authority for how then we should live. Right? Meaning we, we base our lives solely on this reality that God communicates in a way we can understand. So when someone says, ah, the Bible's just a bunch of fairy tales or wishful thinking, are, are you willing to take them to Daniel too? Say, look at the miracle that God has revealed his will to people in real space, real time, real history. All right. That's what the New Testament tells us. 2 Peter chapter 1 is a great place um, where it says, as we think about our faith, we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of what happened, his majesty. So when Jesus heard the Father's voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, we heard that voice. But even better, now, because Jesus is who he is, we have the prophetic word, the Old Testament scriptures, more fully confirmed. 
And we know this, that first of all, that no prophecy, nothing in the scriptures comes from someone's own interpretation. It's not just someone being clever or smart or good guesswork or just winging it because they want people to do what they want, right? It's not a power grab. No, it says, verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No, people spoke from God as the Holy Spirit carried them on. That's the, that's the story all the way through the Bible, that God is communicating and making his will known. He did so more, most clearly in Jesus, and Jesus then helps us understand some of these, well, like this convoluted dream. He makes it clearer and more trustworthy. Right. When you're all done, I hope this is what happens, <laughs> uh, we're going to say like Nebuchadnezzar, truly your God is the God of gods. He's real. He's the Lord of kings. He's sovereign over all. He's the revealer of mysteries. For you, Daniel, have been able to make known this mystery. That's Nebuchadnezzar. So if you want to apply this, we've been talking over and over again in the study of Daniel that we're called to live out our faith publicly among our neighbors. One of the things you and I are witnesses of, like Daniel, we just tell people this is what God has said. He's revealed it to us, and I trust it. It's trustworthy. And if we can at least get people to go or or hear us where Nebuchadnezzar goes, where he respects the God of the Bible, where he respects the Scriptures as something true and at least helpful, (laughs) you're making progress. I mean, that's what happens at the end of this story. Nebuchadnezzar just falls down and worship, and just all the God who would communicate like this. It's not made up. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. See, Christians were witnesses of the divine nature of the Bible, that this is the place that God has worked through normal human people to make his will known. And it's a call then to trust the God who communicates the source of this dream. And I think you'll see that as we look at this. Uh, if, if this is not clear, I want to make clear now. <laughs> Feel free to ask questions. Feel free to ask questions after. All right, second point. We want to understand the meaning of this dream, okay? God's made something known. It is a dream through long, long time ago, and what does it mean? Well, you've got an image, this massive human figure, a statue with a head of gold, a chest of silver, and arms of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And then a stone, uncut by human hands, right? So it's a symbol of God doing something all by himself that comes and smashes the, the, the statue. But then that stone grows into something bigger and permanent. It fills the whole earth. And this is a picture of what will come in the future from Daniel's day, you know, think in 587 B.C. in that general, general time period. And maybe this is where some of you are frothing at the bit to talk about predictive prophecy, (laughs) right? Get to the end time stuff. Um, But I think this is more generic than we want it to be. So just give you some realistic expectations to start out, right? We know Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. That's the interpretation. And the Babylon, it's this beautiful, majestic kingdom. That's what some commentators will do. They will tell you they can... they have mapped out from the perspective of history that we think these kingdoms are 
the, the Persians after the Babylonians, uh, the Greeks, and then maybe the Romans, and then Jesus comes during the time of the Romans. And that's how we see the dream fulfilled. Because we want that chronological, specific historical timeline. And there, there's another dream that talks about that, and I want to put that on hold. Because I don't think that's the point of the dream. There's one statue representing the kingdoms of the world at the time. And they're all broken up together at the exact same time. That's verse 35. That's when they become like chaff, right? Face judgment. That's when the wind carries them away. Right? That's the NIV. They were all busted up at the same time. And that doesn't usually come up in the future predictions because it makes it less chronological. It becomes more of just a metaphor, a picture. And so we got to say, okay, well, how does that help us? Well, it's saying there's a moment in time when God's work is going to publicly break the power of the authorities, the kingdoms. All at one time, it's going to be God's work. There is a, God is going to set up a kingdom that is permanent. It's the place you want to go for safety and security. These things that look powerful and beautiful now, they're not as stable and important as we think from God's perspective. That's, That's generic, right? So just in general, without God and his kingdom and his work, you have no safety or security because these things crumble. Life, the world isn't getting better. Corruption and decay and disease and death constantly ruin our plans. So then you can say, okay, why the medals? Why distinguish them? Why are they different? This is, this is strange. All right, I'm with you. This is strange. <laughs> but, you know, part of what I think you can see is the value of the medals decrease as the violence and strength go up because silver is stronger than gold. Bronze is stronger than silver. Iron is stronger than bronze. All right, it's, it's this progression that what seems like this most undefeatable power that you can't escape then gets smashed by God, by, by ordinary stone. It's a rock. There's no form or beauty to it. It's something you walk by every day and ignore it because it's just, part of the, it's just part of our existence. And it's a stone that looks small and unimpressive that God uses to set up a global kingdom. That's lesson, lesson number two from the dream that you can take in general. God's kingdom will always look small. It starts small. It starts unimpressive, but it is growing. It is improving. It's, it's a direct contrast to the statue that it's going to fade away. Right. Now, we can keep going. You can tie these things together. <laughs> if you look at verse 36... This is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, and it gets very specific for Nebuchadnezzar, right? You heard the dream. I want you to know that God has given you this power. He's made you the head of gold. He's given you dominion, power, might, and glory. And in your hands, he has placed mankind, the beasts, the birds of the air. Wherever they live, you're the ruler. You're the head of gold. So Nebuchadnezzar is getting a reality check. You think you're great, but it's a gift. It's a gift. Right? You didn't get here on your own. And Nebuchadnezzar, his character, right, he's going to say in chapter 4, 
look at how great everything I have done is. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built by my power for the glory of my majesty so that everyone might know how great I am? <laughs> and as soon as he says that, he loses his sanity. Because it's an insane thing to say if you, we live in God's world. The God who gives. Right? And this, this is what I think this, is, this dream is communicating to us and to Nebuchadnezzar. That in general, right, the statue represents the kingdoms of this world and how they work. Right? It's like Babel of old. In Babel, in Genesis, everybody's working to make a name for themselves. I want to be liked. I want to be known. I want to be great. I want to achieve something in my life that will outlive me, that will rise up to the heavens. That's what Babylon represents. That's what the statue represents. And the dream says that just doesn't work in the real world. Right? I mean, this is how I live, right? I want people, I want a name for myself. I want credit. I want glory. If I do something great, I can't keep it to myself. I have to brag about it, <laughs> right? We all have stories. And as soon as you tell a story about how great you were, someone else has a story about how much greater they are, right? I scored 40 points. Someone else scored 50. It's a competition. And what Daniel is, is testifying to, he's saying, Be, watch out, Nebuchadnezzar, you're not in charge. This is a gift. Even your kingdom is subject to decay, corruption, division, and death. And so this becomes, I think for us, uh, just a gen generic or a general, I should say, way to look at life. Right? We either trust and get our reputation, our fame, our glory from God as a gift. Or we take the credit and live as uh, everyday plagiarizers. But there's a way to apply this, right? Let's apply this to us. Um, we just came through an election season. Well, we're kind of still in it. Uh, we're in the midst of a, a heated, divisive season. But part of what this dream does for us is just take, it pulls the curtain away. It says God is setting up a kingdom and no kingdom here on earth is able to do what we want it to do. And so that's a caution. Love your country, serve your country. Our government is good. It's a gift from God to reward those who do good. But do not make it God. Because it as beautiful as it looks now, as strong as it looks now, as undefeatable as it looks now, give it time. It'll fade. And even more pointed, <laughs> right? The American experiment should never be confused with the kingdom of God. Right? There's a stone cut by God, and then there's the kingdoms of the world. That's us. God's kingdom is dependent on the stone. It's Jesus. We're going to talk about that. That's, that's one way to apply this dream. Uh, another way is just to see like Nebuchadnezzar. This is humbling. This is going right after our pride, is it not? <laughs> the God of God and kings of kings gave you responsibility, power, authority for this particular corner of the earth. Even the animals in your world, your pets, your, your, your animals that you love, uh, the, the gardens, See, what, what this does is saying you have to recognize where that comes from to live in reality. Okay. 
It humbles our pride because it's saying you are going to run into the stone that God will send, that God will send. And one of the hopeful parts of this, (laughs) right, if God's kingdom is coming and a stone's going to smash these kingdoms and it's going to turn to chaff, chaff is always a metaphor for judgment in the Old Testament. Uh, People who use power for great evil, uh, that that does not go unnoticed. God will deal with injustice. It's very real hope for Daniel and his friends. But now, because this stone will fill the earth as a mountain, every person has to deal with this. Um, we have to deal with the stone. We've got we to gotta ask, who is this? And this will bring, bring the sermon to a close. Because right, the haunting message of the dream is that our kingdom, no matter how beautiful we are, how strong, how high our IQ is, when you meet the stone, your kingdom will crumble. When you meet God's work, there is a confrontation that will happen. And no matter how you do it, it's going to hurt. Right? If you've ever stubbed your toe on a rock, it hurts. Right? But what we are, and this is the third point, right? That we're looking at the source of the dream. God communicates. We're, we're seeing the, there's a kingdom coming. We're sent then as Christians to be witnesses that this dream has come true because the dream ultimately is about Jesus. Right? Verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And this kingdom is going to break into pieces all the other kingdoms. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke into pieces, the iron, bronze, clay, silver, gold. The great God has shown you what's going to come. So, here's some helpful categories. You can, like I said, please ask questions as this gets too fuzzy in your head. Like Daniel, we're witnesses of this dream, the dream come true, the mystery of what God's up to, and what the stone is that becomes a mountain that fills the earth, it's God's kingdom. It's a picture of God setting up his house, heaven coming down to earth, and setting up his rule and reign all across the world, and it's a growing thing. God is setting up his dwelling place here on earth through the work of the stone. And the third point that's helpful is Jesus is the stone. And listen, this is where Jesus himself says this. I'm not making it up. This is Luke chapter 20, verse 9. If you've got a Bible, feel free to turn there. But this, Jesus tells a parable, all right, where he says, A man planted a vineyard, and he lent it out to tenants and went to another country for a long time. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants to, to get a harvest, so that he, they could get some of the fruit of the vineyard. Well, the tenants beat the servant and sent him away. And so the landlord sent another one, but they beat him and treated him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed. So he sent a third. This one they wounded and sent, cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let us kill him so the inheritance may be ours. And then they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They killed him, the beloved son. So what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to someone else. I want everyone listening, the leaders of the day, the leaders of their own kingdoms, 
heard this, they said, surely not. That would never happen. God would not give our good religious kingdom to someone else. And then Jesus looks directly at them and says, this is what is written. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus calls himself the crushing stone of Daniel 2. And what's shocking is he uses the crushing stone metaphor and calls the religious leaders in Jerusalem, God's holy city, on the mountain in the Old Testament and says, you are no different than Nebuchadnezzar's violent, terrifying kingdom, right? I mean, he's, he's using the message of the dream that your kingdom will crumble to say, you've got to watch out for the stone. Right? It's terrifying. Because... I'm the cornerstone, says Jesus. I'm the beginning of God's eternal kingdom. I'm the foundation of God building his house here on earth. If you want to get to know God, if you want to be a part of what he's up to in the world, you have to know me. That's the message of the parable. And so, this is where it becomes pointed. It's calling us not to reject God's work, Jesus, his beloved son. except that's exactly what happened on the cross. The stone, Jesus, looked ordinary. He looked foolish. He looked weak. And so the tenants, (laughs) Rome, every human being alive at the time, right, they, they allied to put Jesus to death, believing they could live independently without God, and that's what sin does. And Jesus, in the story of the tenants, shows us what the beating heart of that statue looks like. It is cruel. It is selfish. It's a life that says, I want God's gifts, but I don't want his interference. I want this planet, but not God's plan. As we talked about last time with Nietzsche, if there is a God, how can I bear to be him and be in charge? And so Jesus was killed because We didn't want God involved. Rather than have a head of gold, this Jesus, God's image, had a crown of thorns. Uh, He had holes in his hands. His feet are nailed to a tree. It looks unimpressive. It looks like a failed kingdom. Until God raises him from the dead on the third day. He is alive forevermore. This is God's work, uncut by human hands. God raised Jesus up to start building his temple here on earth, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so here's the option. You're either graciously included in this this mountain kingdom, or you're going to be crushed by the stone. That's what this dream is so pointed and haunting. Everyone has to deal with the fact that God is doing something and he's willing to forgive sinners who have lived their lives independently. And Jesus uses that language of being crushed in Luke 20 by the stone. To be crushed by the stone is what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. Right? You live for safety. You live for security. You're going to find it gone. Because that's what this life does. If I can quote my dad, who was a pastor, he said, Jesus says, that if you look for safety and security and comfort in your own little personal kingdom, 
of isolation and recreation and comfort, right? You try and set up your best life now. You're going to be frustrated because it won't last. But there is another option, and that's to come to Jesus, the stone. And I, and I do have to warn you, it starts with being broken to pieces, right? You're either crushed or broken. But brokenness is another way of talking about repentance, right? That's what it looks like, right? If I'm going to make Jesus the foundation of my life, that means I have to radically restructure my priorities, my goals, my hopes, my dreams, right? It's going to feel like my life is falling apart. I mean, as one professor in Syracuse University, when she met Jesus after doing all the hard work, um, she was in a lesbian relationship, um, and she says, my whole life when I met Jesus, it wasn't this wonderful dream come true, though it was. It was also a train wreck, I had to figure out how am I going to live in light of reality and I had to change if I'm going to submit to Jesus' authority. It hurts to be broken. That's part of confession. It's humbling to say to God, I used your gifts to make myself look good and I didn't want you involved at all. Which is why Jesus, when he starts his public ministry, he says, repent, believe the good news for the kingdom of God is here. We have to change our ways. But it is sweet because you find out when you let yourself be broken, when you fall on the stone, Jesus, you don't get condemnation, you don't get guilt, you don't get shame. You find that you're healed. The honor becomes for those who believe, as Peter says, because you get included in God's grand global plan to heal broken humans, to make them whole, and to fill the whole earth with his presence. You become a beloved child a beloved living stone, so to speak, the way Jesus is, chosen and precious. And so, that's the dream in a nutshell. Um, It's a beautiful picture to think about this. The mountain that fills the whole earth, right? We've tasted part of it. It's already started in Jesus. We're waiting for when the mountain finally fills the earth. We're waiting for the dream to be finished. But we're called to go now as witnesses of what God has done in the world. Read the New Testament and how many times Paul says, the mystery of God's will has been revealed in Jesus. It's echoes of Daniel. But the goal, the hope, this is why you can be optimistic about the future, is the mountain will fill the whole earth. What's going to happen on that mountain? It's a, way, it's a poetic way of picturing God's dwelling place, picturing Eden here on earth, paradise, God with us here on earth. And Isaiah 25 gives great hope, and this is, this is the conclusion here. Right? Everyone who repents, humbles themselves, and follows Jesus on the last day when the mountain has finally filled the earth, this is what God's going to do. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, uh, of, of the best wine well refined. And God on this mountain, he's going to swallow up death forever. And the Lord God himself will wipe away all tears from their faces and the reproach of his people will be gone, removed forever from the earth. This is what the Lord has promised to do. And when we are on that mountain on the last day, celebrating God's grace, it's going to be, everybody's going to say on that that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. So let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. 
We can rejoice in Christ's salvation today as we long and wait for that day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, uh, well, allow us to be brokenness, to be broken on the stone, um, but cared for in your kindness. And as we go out today celebrating the grace we have received in Jesus, uh, we would also be unashamed witnesses that you have spoken, you have communicated, you have given us great hope for the future, uh, that cruelty will end, and we will live in our Father's home eating and drinking at this feast of joy and laughter. And we get to say, behold, this is our God who loves us, who continues to love us, and will love us until we meet him face to face. So equip us to be witnesses as we go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.